Hello and welcome to episode 112 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray and what matters on this episode is an eclectic mix of topics ranging from the Premier Golf League announcement they plan to launch in 2023 to Naomi Osaka's controversial decision not to talk to the press and subsequent withdrawal from the French Open. What might that mean for golf? The US Women's Open and Associated Issues, the upcoming Men's US Open and Associated Issues and in between all that we may even get to chat about John Rahm's bizarre withdrawal from the Memorial Tournament. Uh, when I say we, I mean regular co-hosts of course Jeff Shackleford and Mike Clay Joined today by Washington News journalist and golf fan Arthur McMillan. Arthur, along in just a moment. But first, it's hello to columnist, blogger, author, analyst, and all around golf top Jeff Shackleford. Shack, looking forward to the chat today. I'm not sure even we are going to have enough time to get through it all. No, no, no. When you when you present it like that, Rod, there's just too much to cover. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll hit the key point. We haven't even touched on PIP Bryson versus Brooks from uh, lo- yeah. <laughs> from lockdown in Melbourne where he's proved to be a sitting duck for every golf podcaster across the globe. It's former tour player, <laughs> columnist, and one-third of the Clayton DeVries and Pond architecture firm, Mike Clayton. Clayton, it's nice to be chatting to you, although I must say, I've heard plenty of you the last week or two. These lockdowns just see you working that microphone hard, don't they? Yeah, they do, but uh, the last two days were horrific weather where you wouldn't have even thought about going out to play golf, and of course, you wake up today, blue sky, no wind, perfect. So. Fabulous. Well, we continue the mic technique lessons. Get the mic in front of you, not over to the side. That's exactly right. We're going to get you a boom arm so you can position it comfortably and not have to be all... I'll be at St Andrew's Beach this afternoon, right? You'll be pleased to know. Oh, and the audience have just breathed a sigh of relief because we can hear you. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's cross to the very seat of power in the US, where when he's not keeping a close eye on international and domestic politics, he's indulging his love and passion for golf. Arthur McMillan, welcome. What role does golf play in the capital? Is it lots of politics and business done on the course, or is that a myth? No, it definitely is some. Um... Where I play, for example, a couple of years ago, I was there on a Friday afternoon and I heard the Tannoy call out the name of Josh Ernest, who at that time was the White House press spokesman. And I realized that, um, yeah, so he plays golf as well. <laughs> you know, so it's, ne- it's never far away. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And I'm sure you're across all of these issues we're going to chat to. I'm going to start with you, Jeff Shackford, in this Premier Golf League thing. It's probably overshadowed all the other stuff in the last few days, and rightly so. What's your knee-jerk reaction? They look pretty organised, don't they? Uh, well, they're disclosing more than last time, so I guess that would be a way of showing they're more organised. And then they've made a few, cor- uh, I wouldn't call them corrections, I guess adjustments, I don't think they've adjusted the one thing to me that's still the fatal flaw, but they've definitely tried to address some things that the last time when I wrote about it and kind of leaked it out um, in a piecemeal style on my blog, they've definitely addressed some things that they, they heard in the way of feedback. So I think that also makes them look more organized. But, you know, that we still just don't know what uh, who's who's ultimately behind it other than they've made very clear Who's they not. are Saudi free, <laughs> yes. not necessarily by choiceness, uh, maybe, but I'm pretty sure they are. Um, they got that message and Saudis took their ideas and have tried their thing. And that's gone very quiet. Very. Um, but I think the fascinating thing, Rod, is no, when they're when I started revealing some of that stuff back a year over a year ago, there was such revulsion to a lot of it. And then the Saudis came along and nobody could shoot it down and i don't i don't know if they they put a scare into them all these players were just suddenly uh, oh yeah it's got some interesting uh things going on <laughs> i'm like wait a second you couldn't wait to shoot it down before 
this is now golf Saudi. You'd have to play a whole bunch of events in the Middle East. Why are you suddenly liking it? So I think this group's ideas are more in line with uh, an international tour. Uh, I, I, I see some, some adjustments in terms of the, the ownership element, which to me was a stumbling block that the, that there just aren't enough mega star players to be given an ownership of a team. So they've addressed that. That's not going to be the case now, but, I think the flaw is still that there's not an explanation of how you develop players, how players who are struggling get sent down and players get moved up um, because uh, golf's a tough game and we love to see new blood come in against old blood and we love um, to see an upstart. And that's to me always been the issue and how they, they address that. And and I still, I I haven't gone through the whole website. (laughs) It's got a lot. So I, I, I don't know if that is addressed somewhere yet, but from what I've seen so far, not. It seems implied that it would need to be done with the cooperation of the PGA and European tours. And to me, Arthur, this is politics and this plays right into your game. This looks like a pull the pin out of the hand grenade, throw it over the top of the trench at the PGA tour and try to force them to the table. There's a lot more detail in this, but that's what it feels like. Yeah, I think if you were to um, compare this to a political policy, this is the uh, balloon that's kind of put up in the air at the start to basically make people a bit more open to the idea. Hmm. Because like like Jeff said, this is the non-Saudi version. Um, And this week... Uh, having had a look at what the top guy on the PGL said, this seems like a full-blown PR exercise Mm -hmm. to get the ball rolling and to try and get people open to the idea. But I think when it comes to the flaw, it kind of, in terms of the grenade, there's been two grenades thrown. One has been thrown at Jay Monaghan and the other one has been thrown at Keith Pelley because the PGL is talking about some kind of pyramid golfing system and uh, the PGA and the European Tour are going to be steps two and steps three on that pyramid under the PGL's plan. And I can't see Jay Monaghan going for that. No. The question is, what can he do about it, I guess? And there's some interesting stuff around that that they start to address as well. Clays, there's no question there's golf knowledge with these people, if you've read anything on the website, the very basic, it's almost a poem at the start of it, what they're about. They talk the right talk, don't they? They're speaking to golfers about golf, which is smart, leaving aside all the rest of the nefarious. How will this play, do you think, for players and fans? What are you, what are you hearing? What are people saying to you when they talk to you about it? Oh, not that much, but um, the question is, do you want to blow the PGA Tour up? If you take the top 50 players away, the PGA Tour is a meaningless second-rated exercise. So that meaningless question is, well, with the top fifty players gone, who who cares about the PGA Tour? Who cares about the no top fifty? Let's that. be honest. How many of the top fifty do we actually care about? How many players move the needle? There's a, there's a very serious question about this, and I reckon it's less than ten. Yeah. Is the truth of it? Well, it's always been ten. I mean, yeah. Gene Littler and Charles Cootie were not moving the needle in 1970, and no. Billy, Billy Casper maybe, but with Nicholas Player, Palmer, and, and, and Trevino were the four guys who carried the tour then but if you take the top 50 away and the best player in the PGA Tour is the 51st best player in the world who's going to watch that I mean does anyone watch the you know the Bulgarian Open in tennis do we want to blow up the PGA Tour back to your original question do we want to do we want to blow up the PGA Tour do we want to blow up the PGA Tour I've I've had that feeling from time to time I've got to be honest with you but (laughs) 
Well, as much as you know, I hate some of the things that PJ Tour does, like the wraparound seasons destroy the Australian season because all the Australian players want to get off to a good start for the next year, so none of them come home. Or you know, Very few. They're tied to play in America yeah. in October and November, which was the heart of our season, so it's blowing up our season. Not that our season really matters, but they clearly don't care about us. So in a sense, it's like, well, why should we care about them? So that's a bit of my dilemma. Mm. But you know, I think ultimately blowing the PGA Tour up for 48 players is not a great idea. And I, I don't see that. Sorry, I think you go. I was just going to say, uh, Michael, yeah, I mean, I think what's moved on since this was last discussed is that it does seem a bit more plausible. There are problems in the P- and the PGA Tour knows this. I mean, it does have problems as a product because like, like you've just said, once you take out the guys who move the needle, and we all know there's only really one guy who used to move the needle, um, you have a diluted product to begin with. So for the PGL, that's the PGA Tour weakness. And they're starting to prod at that because you may have had only someone like Lee Westwood say, well, 50 million, yeah, that would be a no-brainer. And yeah, Lee Westwood, you can see it would be a no-brainer for Lee Westwood because he's almost 50. He's had a great year, um, but he isn't the world number one. He's not Dustin Johnson. He's not Rory McIlroy. So you can see certain players would be attracted. And I think where this differs from the attempt that happened in uh, football uh, in Europe is that football has a homeland of supporters and towns and cities. And there is something collective about it. And that is what um, the owner of Liverpool, uh, for example, and several other owners of those English football clubs didn't understand. They just Mm. bypassed the community. um, And I use that term loosely because it's also a term that's been funnily enough used by the PGL uh, leader um, community. Where golf is different, we all know it. Golfers are effectively self-employed individuals. They do look after their own interests and they can be turned, I have no doubt about it, by the money because, cut a long story short, despite all the talk about uh, growing the game and the good of the game, it's an incredible business enterprise that they're involved in. And I imagine what the PGL are doing if they do have everything nailed down in terms of television, sporting rights, sales, enough players to make this viable, they do think they can probably pull the PGA along one way or another. I don't know how they do that, but I guess they they think they've got, what is it, about 18 months now to make this happen. And they're going to try and turn a few heads and make this happen. But I do think it is way more viable than the last time we talked about. It's a bold move, either way, isn't it, to announce a date, a starting date, given the situation. Yeah. What's publicly known seems extraordinarily bold, and that makes you start to think maybe they've got more going on in the background than we think. Jeff Shackelford, what do we know about Andy Gardner, who's the public face, and the structure of behind the PGL? Do we know anything? I see him bob up, and I see him quoted. Clearly a golfer. Lots of talk in that camp about the love of the game and all the background of all the various people involved in golf and immersed in golf from media and broadcasting and administration. Some really interesting 
potential lines to follow there and try to figure out who these people might be. What do we know about him, Jeff? Do we know anything? Uh, yeah, a little bit about his his past and and uh, just kind of working in the game and different things. And their their team um, seems to be a lot of people ex IMG and they do mention somebody ex NBC. I don't I I don't I think it was a little bit of a stretch. Um, well, I've seen the. <laughs> there's a the, lot of XNBC the, floating around at the well there is that and um <laughs> i've seen i've seen some other bios so i i don't um i can't say that i feel like it's um is as, as uh rich of a talent pool as you might expect but um i do think they say a lot of the right things and um i, w- I would say just a few other things have changed on this um obviously the pandemic was part of it but uh, a couple other things one um tiger woods is no longer the element that he was a year and a half ago in this and and holding a lot of power phil has a lot more power than he did Mm -hmm. he was the one that was sort of uh i guess phil's sort of the the washed up (laughs) he'll wheel him out he's (laughs) famous and now he's a pga champion um so that's something i think Another element I didn't understand, and, and then Justin Leonard was talking about it on one of the, the Golf Channel shows during the PGA when they actually addressed the topic, the, the younger group of players does not value the tour's pension like the older group uh, does. They're not really a, a generation that's thinking about retirement and, and the pension program as much as uh, other generations. And that has something, that's something that's turned up in a lot of the discussion, apparently uh, in the tour world. So that's, that's another one. And then, um, you know, I wrote about it, in my newsletter today, you know, we have this U S open coming up. Uh, I'm excited. I watched 2008 last night. It was great, but this schedule is not working. And it's not working for the USGA now, I believe. I believe that the, the, the time between the PGA and the US Open is too brief. Uh, and so I think as we spend more time on this, people realize we've, we're jamming too many good things into one area for two things, for the FedEx Cup and the Olympics. And those two things are not on the level of the major championships, and they're not on the level of even good tour events to most people or, or women's majors. Um, and so... As, as we continue to go down this road and they throw these ideas out, so ideas that seem too crazy or too extreme now look more attractive because I think there's a growing consensus. This schedule is not good for all of golf. Um, I mean, just look at the women's open, what it had to compete with, mm. or and look how hard it is for the women to situate their majors in a way that they get that, they get that spotlight for the week. We ju- we're just trying to do too much between April and July for two things that nobody really cares about, the Olympics and the FedEx Cup. It's truly bizarre when you put it like that because it's actually true, Shaq, and you're 100%. Wait, wait, bizarre that I'm speaking the truth? No, right? no, no, no. no. I, I'd never thought about it, though, but you're right. Golf has thrown, Professional golf has thrown itself into a huge tiz over two events that really most yeah, people in yeah. golf don't actually care about. Um, that might And change, I got that they saw the upside in them, but it – yeah, I think it's clear now that the upside's not there. Uh, the Olympics is going to be held back by when it's played and the format, and the FedEx Cup is is the format and, and what it is, and it's just not it's not a compelling playoff. There, no, nobody's getting eliminated in a compelling way, so one it's more. just a bonus pool. Yeah, Clates. Well, which is one thing tennis does better than golf, and it does very few things better than golf. But one of the things it does is 
play the Australian Open in January and the US Open in September with the two big European tournaments in the middle of the year. So it stretches out its window way longer than golf does. Well, which and we, golf needs it, I yeah. think. I, well, think. I think it needs to do the same thing. We are, are we not back to, in part, we play too much golf? What are there, three weeks off it, in the whole PGA Tour season? Um, forgetting it, about it, the rest it, of the It feels world, that way, Rod. It, it really does feel that way. It's Because relentless. there are plenty of weeks, there are plenty of weeks in America where there is a tournament on, and I have a look at the field, and I don't feel compelled that I must be watching this tournament uh, on a Saturday. Maybe I'll have a look at it on the Sunday, but we still kind of look for the glittering lights that we want to see in the top of that leaderboard. And they're not quite there. One of the tricky things about this PGL effort is like, like Mike, Mike, Michael said, if you peel off the best players on the top 50, what would you have left in the PGA tour? Not a lot, but the, but the other thing is when you, um, when you go to the uh, tournaments and the best players are not there. Uh, it's like the product itself is diluted, but we we already have the European Tour, like you say, only three weeks out of the year. The Ryder Cup, we have everything else, and it's just it's kind of left. There's a lot of golf, but there's not a lot of reasons to watch. So the PGL probably think if they thin it down, like Jeff said. There's almost like too many events. If you thin it down to 18 events, Plus the majors, you know, 22, you, you, yeah. you've got something, maybe you've got something to begin with. You think that you're going to look at all the time. But then when I looked at what Andy Gardner was saying this week, um, no cut. I like seeing who's making the cut Don't because it's a, it's a general, me- it's a genuine measure of where someone's game's at. Um, last place in any one of the PGL events, $150,000 minimum. I just think that kind of turn up attitude immediately isn't good for the game. And if there's only 50 guys playing, I think pretty quickly that could get very boring and very dull. Yeah. No cuts definitely takes an edge away. Um, But they're just trying to tighten the day and the the window. Um, That's for television as much as anything, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, and and they keep highlighting that five-hour window thing. Um, On television, Rod, I want to ask – this is one of the reasons I wanted to have uh, Arthur on this week because I've been listening to his podcast. Um, One other element I think that's changed, but he may tell me differently, um, because a lot of people look at this and they go, well, they don't have a TV partner. Um, But isn't it the case, Arthur, now that the more we get into the streaming era uh, that – that is actually a secondary concern for them because if they if they get the players and they get the buy-in, isn't it then easy easier now to launch something either simply a pay-per-view app yeah. or something with Amazon yeah. or something with uh, uh, Apple? Where definitely, and, and so yeah. isn't that make them more dangerous? Yeah. Possibly, it's a bit like it's a bit it's it's like the broadcasting equivalent about what you said about the pension scheme, Jeff. You know, this current age of people are not sitting at home. Um, that, well, let's say, let's say the next gen, the current wannabe um, generation for audience, they're not going to be consuming golf in the next 25 years via cable, cable. subscription. Yeah. Um, CBS obviously has the contract for the PGA Tour. And the product is quite good some weeks. I know they've just changed personnel. Other weeks, it's a bit dull. They can't get it going. 
Um, they obviously split it with NBC with some of the tournaments, and sometimes I think NBC is better than CBS and vice versa. But it's like it's not really built for the 21st century because not everyone is going to sit in from 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. on a Sunday to to watch golf in one position. You know, people are going to be looking at their phone. They're not going to need a subscription. They're just going to want to stream it from somewhere. They can already do it with featured holes on uh, Prime. Um, there are going to be different delivery systems. And I think you're right. Once that, I mean, for example, I mean, if the PGL in theory, because they're not beholden to the, if, well, if, if they were to do their own product, presumably they wouldn't be beholden to the PGA unless they hooked up with the PGA, that CBS contract would be toast. You know, that would just be a, I don't know what the legals are in that contract about which players are, you know, have to play, but I'd be surprised if that's stipulated. Um, so there's a whole, that's possibly maybe the weak point in uh, the PGA's defence. You know, the, this company could come in and just say, we're going to sell the rights um, to, I don't know, what whatever broadcaster, or we're going to do our own system we're going to do subscriptions or whatever. This is what we think we're going to generate. That's how we can fund these tournaments or whatever. I don't know. But like you said, the younger generation of players, I don't think they're too worried about the, uh, the CBS contract or the PGA pension because they haven't lived in that generation of thinking about retirement because the purses have always been so big. Yeah. Whereas the players of yesteryear, they're still looking for that great pension because the pocket, the pots were not as big when they started out. Yeah, Big's a pretty important question for both Arthur and Chuck. Come to you first, Jeff. Is the era of big money TV in golf over? Whether it's the start of the slow decline or is that going to be a thing of the past soon? When you say big era, what, what, what do you where Where so much money, so much of the PGA Tour's money comes from TV contracts. RTV contracts are a reliable source of income going into the future. It would seem not based on what you're saying. Yeah, it's a less reliable yeah. form, but it could also be that long term there's a there's a, a better way where you're getting more you're getting people mm. to actually subscribe. Uh, I mean, I, as you know, I've come around along uh, from being somebody who who likes just being able to turn on cable and there's the golf um, or or uh, other kinds of things and being fearful of subscription fatigue to saying. I'm in that group now that would say, hmm, no, I'd rather pay $100 a year and never have to watch uh, 8 million ads and know it's going to be right there. Yeah, you know, I, I still have my questions about golf as a sport you stream. I still feel that golf and baseball and tennis are little of those sort of background sports. You don't actively sit down to watch, like Arthur said, except maybe the Sunday and the final nine. That said, I'm increasingly of the mindset that I, I uh, which is a younger group's mindset of I'll pay for it and but I you better deliver something that's that's clean and Netflix has really spoiled people with the way it works and in the beautiful way it previews things and it knows what you're looking for and so anyway I I think that's where I don't think we're there yet but I can see a day where that's and 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 it's easier to start something like that 
than it was when you were relying on networks. And yeah. to answer your question, when you're relying on networks and their cable partners and all that. Television's under enormous pressure, isn't it, Arthur? In, in always, but in, particularly in live sports coverage, but it is so easy. And we even see it now. Some of the smaller events here in Australia, we've had final three holes coverage online provided by the operator of the tournament. The New South Wales Open has done it a couple of times. Now, the coverage might not be to the same calibre as CBS, NBC at the Masters and the US Open, but it's a peek into the future, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, in credit to uh, Jay Monaghan and the current contract, the PGA Tour, Jeff will know the numbers, but the, the PGA Tour did really well, given that that TV era is collapsing. Mm. I mean, all of the TV companies, they're trying to get, the, I mean, they already have, but they're looking at broadband as their future yeah. subscription model because broadband is where everything's going to come through. But just on the point you made about the pool of TV, I, I wasn't actually watching it because I, I was out of town uh, on Sunday, but um, I wasn't watching it live, but I watched it later. But the, I believe the U.S. Women's Open, for example, had been on TV, but they had to leave it around about the time of the playoff oh, because the gymnastics was coming on. Yeah. And I think and I think you had to go elsewhere. So there was an example where even channel, when you yeah. had... Yeah, exactly. It went to Golf Channel. But if you're going from like... Some people won't have Golf Channel. Um, so, you know, if, if there was someone who was not a golf fan, and I think we all know that most people who are watching golf on Sunday are golf fans, despite what the the aim is of getting the average or the general viewer, that would have kind of looked a bit odd to, to some uh, to some audiences. But regardless, um, some people found that jarring, uh, I oh. heard. You, you, yeah. yeah, that's an yeah. understatement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was the, it was the best. So there you go. But best here, best. Arthur, here's what's so obnoxious about it. They the, the NBC has uh, taken back the USGA. They have Peacock. They Peacock is the future to them. I mean, right now, if you watch a PGA Tour broadcast on the Golf Channel, they don't even mention that this broadcast is brought to you by the Golf Channel now. They've started saying NBC Sports. But they're trying to migrate migrate you to Peacock. Okay, fine. That's what they think is the future. So why not? in your contract, make sure that you just have the stream of the broadcast Sweet. all the way from beginning to end on Peacock. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, the people who don't partake in that, then they have to deal with your handoff and all that. But they won't do that. They just don't think in a way that is good for the viewer sometimes. And Absolutely. it's another reason why these things, I think, are vulnerable. And they don't, they don't think of the golf fan either because I'm in, no. the, I'm in, the, I'm in the opposite situation because – my TV, I, I, I use a stream. I do all my channels through broadband, but I do have a basic um, Comcast box, Xfinity it's called here, and I do get Peacock. And I was watching the coverage of the Walker Cup, for example, when that was on. Now, this is a really important amateur tournament. We all know about it. And it was being bigged up by Peacock as the uh you know an important product for peacock that weekend oh yeah and typically on the sunday when it was getting really exciting and it was starting yep. to go down to the wire they stopped the broadcast yep. 
on Peacock. <laughs> I don't have Golf Channel, so I yeah. couldn't see the end of the Walker Cup. Yeah. So they, yeah. some days they get it wrong on their network, and other days they get it wrong on their <laughs> streaming app. But every day they get it <laughs> so, wrong, Arthur. That's the point. But they're getting it wrong every weekend, <laughs> one way or another. Forget Brooks versus Bryson. By far the best golf social media spat this year was Golf Twitter versus Gymnastics Twitter. I couldn't believe it when that yeah. broke out. That was some yeah. brilliant stuff going on there. Clates, you haven't been this quiet for a very long time. What's your take on what these two have been chatting about there? Uh, um, How do you consume the golf? We're, we're limited here in Australia. We have one cable offering. It's called Fox. Uh, yeah, that's it. We've got Netflix. how I so, watch it. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah so, so we just watch it on Fox. It comes on on, on – well, the best time to watch golf, it comes on at 5 or 6 in the morning, so a much better time than Sunday afternoon to watch golf. So Australians all consume the PGA Tour from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock in the morning before they go to work. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's the way the European Tour is for people in, on yeah. the West Coast in the U.S. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So but, I guess but, the but, do you, you don't have golf TV, right? You have no, no option to get that? No, oh, well, no, uh, no you fun. can get golf TV, but you, you can't watch it on the – you've got to okay. cast it to your TV if you want. Oh, you can get it in Australia now. As far as – or maybe I'm thinking of golf park. I mean, I still – I have never talked to somebody who has watched golf TV. No, because nobody has. Well, that's a self-evident yeah, well, fact, Jeff. If you've never spoken to someone who's watched it, then clearly nobody's watched it. It's, it's a bizarre amazing. set of... But I notice on Twitter people complain about golf TV all the time, and golf TV always seem to respond with, send us your... You know, well, they have a robust social, social team. I just don't know where yeah. to get the <laughs> channel. Any, and, any golfer, that sort of uh, stuff. And, and go, oh, well, I don't want to go down the golf TV rat hole, but uh, it's a big deal. It should be a story that lo- is looked at closely because it's it's a developed by the in and envisioned by the person who's a big part of a massive merger going on here in the United States right now um and and it also probably led to the indirectly to the demise of Tiger Woods I was about to say anyway moving right along <laughs> he's part of that so uh back to you Clates just to, on the playoff disappearing off TV Clates can you imagine that would have happened at the US Men's Open oh uh, no no chance and of course it was I mean, I guess once Lexi was not in, in the playoff, that kind of cut out half the American, well, most of the American ones who didn't care what happened after she'd lost. Well, and they I, felt like they'd shown the two aggregate holes. So, and then, I, I mean, the gymnastics okay, is a big deal to NBC and the Olympics and all that. It's yeah. big money. Uh, they sold a lot more ads on the gymnastics broadcast, you know, because it's ad free, yeah. the women's open. It's just Rolex. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, just one question How much would the, is the PGL a result of the failure of the World Golf Championships to be actually what they say they are, which is World Golf Championships, and nice. they just hunker down in America? And if those six or seven WGCs had actually gone around the world, would the that's a PGL have... question, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> is that still an option for the PGA Tour, Shaq? If they want to hit back at the PGL, would taking the WGCs international? Well, how, how long are we? What was it, November? Uh, the, the strategic alliance with the European tour was announced. I think so. And yes. so here we are, you know, June 10th recording this. Um, ha- I, I, has there been a single idea leaked or suggested that, um, impact yeah, I just hear these things like, well, FedEx cup points might be, uh, might be in play at certain, uh, if this was a serious strategic alliance, like uh, get on it now to address the point that Clates made. Yeah, if they cared, but I just don't know if they really care that that much. They better though. Let's tick off some quick fire boxes on the PGL. Will they get the top forty eight players, Shaq, or does it not matter as long as they get the right two or three PGL? I think they'll get. I think they would potentially get uh, ten to twelve, uh, but I think the problem will be what the same people that were interested in the Saudi 
break off one mm-hmm. is, 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 is it's an, it's an older group that will love taking the check. But again, you've got to have that infusion of, of youth, or you've got to have that infusion of the danger of losing your position and the, and new people replacing you. I mean, it's just like the cut in a golf tournament. Yeah. If fit- you take those things away, is the, is the competition is compelling? Is Phil on board? Do you think? No, oh, he'll take. Yeah, I know he'll take money, but do you think he's on board with them? He's been talking to the Saudis. We know that, but has he been talking to PGL as well? He has talked to this group. Oh yes, okay. he was very interested in this group's proposal as well. And and now with his PGA Championship win, he's in the majors. Um, he doesn't need the PGA Tour anymore, uh, other than his pension, and um, and he has a sizable one, uh, no doubt. And uh, but they feel they can also. They feel that that legally he he can't be that can't be taken from him or or somehow did, lessened. Did one Asia and the Asian Tour prove them right about that, Clates? We had the same situation down here a few years ago with Matt Griffin. Who else was in that lawsuit with uh, one Asia and the Asian oh, that's Tour? Right. I can't remember. Yeah, they Kim Felton, Jeff. They were exempt on both Asian tours, but the Asian Tour said they couldn't said play if, because if they were you members of play the one Asian Tour. We're going to ban you. Yes. And they went to court in Singapore and they won. They won. So that's been mm. tested, not in America, but that's been tested outside the America and found that the PGL is probably on the right side of it. There, Arthur McMillan, we just mentioned women and their uh, their treatment in the game sometimes, and the US Women's Open was another prime example. Women get a mention in the PGL documents. Are they serious about that? Doesn't say much. Says the word women a few times. Doesn't say much about what that actually means. I, I think it's uh, definitely good marketing at this stage. Because, um, I mean, the pandemic showed, particularly in Europe, Mm -hmm. that the European women uh, basically were on a shot to nothing um, until, for example, Justin Rose stepped in with a little bit of money and a few tournaments. But if the uh, European men's tour is the poor relation to the PGA, then the European women are basically in the breadline. Uh, because they literally were down to nothing mm. with the number of cancelled tournaments they had. So I would say that's probably quite a good card for the uh, PGA, sorry, for the PGL to play. Um, and in t- but in terms of the, the product, um, there's a similar dilemma because you, I mean, Mike said it, uh, I mean, I hadn't even thought about it, but I, I hate to think that, but it could be true. The, the moment Lexi Thompson dropped out of that tournament, um, someone with the broadcasting switch just made the decision, yeah, we can we can let this one go because um, we don't have an American in it anymore. And um, if it's coming down to what I don't what I don't quite buy about the PGL pitch this week is all this stuff about putting money back into no, the communities the and all the rest of it. Who this is, is not a philanthropic enterprise. No, no. You know, I mean, <laughs> Phil, Phil Mickelson, Phil Mickelson, I'm sure gives a few, gives plenty of dollars to charities and is by all, by all means, a very uh, public spirited individual in, in his own way. Um, but he also, he is also an extremely self-serving individual in other ways, whether it's the stock market or his PGA check. And the bottom line is, this is a money-making enterprise, and anyone who thinks that is the reason they're involved—sorry, uh, anyone who thinks otherwise—as uh, the reason for being involved or launching this this uh, uh, PGL effort—is deluding themselves. Because it will come down to 
dollars and cents, and the rest is conversation. Yeah, that's exactly right. Clates, yeah. there's also mention of juniors within this, which I think is uh, – there's a lot of stuff in this, is there not, Clates, that if you put all the other side about the impact it might have on the rest of the golf world, et cetera, if you were going to design professional golf again, there's a lot to like about this PGL model, is there not? If they were to go ahead with everything they say. Uh, yeah, although I, you know, I grew up liking normal golf tournaments. I don't know that I like 48 players and – Hundred and fifty thousand bucks. It's just appearance money. Let's face it; it's all appearance money. Yeah, I think the diluting of the competitive nature is a real issue, Shaq. That we and probably don't realise just how important that might be. Ultimately, you're right. One hundred fifty grand a week just to have got there, play for a year, make one hundred fifty grand eighteen times over for yeah. for not even trying and retire doing Anthony Kim. Why wouldn't you? I mean, you've always seen it with the WGCs. They just don't have the same edge to them. Mm. As a normal golf tournament, they're no cut, and mm. and they show up and they get their their forty thousand and their ranking points, and uh, it, it loses something. So I believe their view is Rod that with the team component, mm-hmm. and again, I just think it's flawed. I think the concept's good, but their their view is with the team component that the drama, some of the drama will come each week with the captain designating whose scores counts, and if the captain screws it up, uh, but I don't really think anybody's going to care about the seating process. Uh, as you go through the year, I think their bigger mistake is that they don't have throughout the schedule a few more non-stroke play events that are these teams playing match play um, and seeing some team golf. I, I, I just the way the world's going and every time we have a team event, it's great. <laughs> it's compelling. Um And the, the NCAAs were fantastic here. The Walker Cup was fantastic. And. I think they need to embrace that more. Yeah, we hammer the President's Cup, Jeff. We don't here in Australia, but the President's Cup has not found favour with golf fans globally. It's still considered, ah, oh, it's a poor cup well, for the Ryder Cup. Why would you bother with that, it? That sort of stuff. Is that a knock on on the format, though? I think I think it's more of a knock on. It's it's a it was created to as a Ryder Cup light alternative and to make money, and it makes money. And um, but I don't know if that's a I don't think that's a knock on team golf. No, not necessarily. It might be a bit more. I mean, yeah. that that would. I, I don't know that. I mean, it's it's been not been close. That's probably the the bigger issue. And and there are some. I, I mean, I, I think the knock on it to me more is that the format should be a little bit different than the Ryder Cup. It, and it would. Yes, it, it hasn't been competitive. It would, it's probably been its problem. We're not here to talk about. It, but yeah, Clates, you got something to say about that? Well, I would, again, it ties in with the PGL. A mixed component would be great. So the, yeah, the LPGA. Oh far from play every week. So you could play a full LPGA schedule and in the 15 weeks they don't play, they could be part of the PGL. Well, so the PGL the plan is to have a two-week festival. This is what they say. So you'd have the women right. play week one and then the men would play week two. There'd be the junior component in there. And they have this 13th team. So there's 12 teams yeah. before. And then that there's this 13th team owned by the fans, which I really like, where the fans vote on who is in that team and the women are included in those polls. So there could be – you might end up with Mel Reed. Playing alongside you know, Elvis Jay- Smiley and Elvis Smiley, Jason Scrivener, Gary Kego uh, <laughs> as the fans team one week. So, in effect, that that actually extends the men's field down to about a hundred because uh, it's fifty-one players would be available for that, according to what they're saying. So, I think there's a lot to like on the team concept. Shaq, my co-host on one of my other podcasts, Adrian Logue, who's a smart guy, as Clates knows, a very clever guy. Uh, he's kind of been quite sold. He's very taken with the concept as it's presented, but he thinks that the big key here is this team concept with high profile team owners will attract yes. the interest of non-golfers are you in agreement with him on that i'm yeah, not convinced and, but 
and that's a big tweak this time is it's so we're not trying to give it uh 50 million dollars to justin rose who will then be able to build a franchise sell it in three years for 250 million the difference this time was the implication was team owners who are not players so you know does is niall horan a, a team owner is uh, rupert uh johan rupert um you know, you could you, you and then you could see where Johan would have a team of South Africans and his captain would be, uh, you know, it wouldn't be Gary Player. Uh, it would <laughs> think of an older South African who would be the captain. And Ernie so, Ells. yeah, you can start to Ernie Els. There you go. And you can start yeah. to see uh, a vision there where it, it would be interesting. But again, you just go back to the problem of, OK, so Team South Africa or Team Johan, let's say, um, uh, Ernie decides that Brandon Grace is just not cutting it, and he needs. So where where does he send him down? And they, you know, there's about 14 great young South Africans right now, and Team Ernie wants to bring up that young guy who's just tearing it up on Gary. what tour? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he to? You know, like our minor league system in baseball, yep. that brings great excitement and drama of. I had to send Brendan down. I had to go talk to him. Yeah. They're envisioning that, but they're not outlining exactly how that. So I'm intrigued by that as well, but I'm not seeing the, the, the pieces to how that comes together. And my hunch is they're afraid to detail that. And I wrote about this mm. last year. I think they're afraid to detail that because some guy who's a great player with a big ego is going to say, well, wait a second, this thing's setting me up. If I go in a slump to be embarrassed, um, and I think that's where golfers will be. It'll be a tough sell for them. Change, it's a big change of mindset for golfers, isn't it? Who decide when and where they play. And if they're not playing well, they can decide. Just right, not they're to so play. independent. Exactly, they're so used to. I play here. I do this. I do that. And then suddenly, what if? But the idea before was, well, you also gotten a nice chunk of change to start yeah. without having to worry. And so, yeah, you're getting paid, but you may get embarrassed, but you're getting paid. Yeah, that's exactly, you're getting paid to get embarrassed. And so. Yeah, you need to perform. By the way, quickly, one thing on the front, just on Clayton yeah. said about the President's Cup. Can you imagine if they announced tomorrow that the President's Cup was expanding, the teams were going to be, uh, I don't know, let's pick a number, 16 deep, but it was eight men and eight women on each team. Uh, and they expanded the President's Cup to, and, and had you know a session of mixed team matches. They had some you know women playing women in singles, et cetera, et cetera. Can you imagine what that would do for the President's Cup to rejuvenate that event and 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 internationally? Let's face it, the international women would would make the international team <laughs> the problem a with lot the Solheim stronger. Cup, isn't it? It's got the opposite problem the Solon. And is it- I mean, it would just I just oh I think about it in so many ways. It would and it, it's just the kind of thing the tour would immediately come up with forty five reasons why. That can't happen. That, well, that that takes away from our players. Well, or with the PGL lurking in the background, they might just have one big compelling reason to give it some thought to some radical stuff that they've yeah, never thought about what, before. Arthur, is the yeah. PGL the disruptor, the kick in the bum that a lot of us think the PGA Tour have needed for the last 10 years, potentially? Well, well, what it, it, it could be um, – there's probably two things. First of all, that tournament – or that rev, uh, revised uh, President's Cup that Jeff envisages there, that sounds like a great tournament. Um, to think that you could have the best uh, women playing alongside the best men, mixed, perhaps, a cu- obviously a couple of mixed formats, singles yeah. formats, you know, uh, foursomes, four balls. You know, I can see that being a big success. And I imagine... Uh, Perhaps the PGL think that could be a big success as well. Um, but 
in terms of uh, sorry, what was that? What was the second bit of your question, Rod? Is the PGL did the disruptor and kick in the bum that the PGA Tour have needed for the last ten or fifteen years to get creative and start actually doing something with the product as opposed to just expanding the same product into more and more weeks? Yeah, well, I think that's that. That is what I was about to come back on, and and what I'm thinking of it, it's like it's like Jeff said just like a few months ago about back in November. So the European Tour and the PGA Tour announced this strategic alliance, which was clearly an effort to kind of you know close the doors on the rivals. That hasn't happened. That hasn't worked. You know the PGL is the is coming out and is saying January twenty twenty three. What I think could happen here, I do think they are the disruptor and I don't quite know how it would look at the end of the day because the calendar is already so crowded and I don't know who the losers would be because I think there would be losers. But it does leave me thinking that you have this uh, shattered or potentially shatterable uh, calendar that could end up somehow with a world golf tour because you already have the European tour giving up its autonomy. You have the PGA tour basically saying, leave us. You're not in the majors. You have the PGL saying, uh, we'll see you in court if that's what you try, because you can't stop the players from having the, the right to work, etc. I can see there being a lot of arguments here and a lot of reasons uh, for it not working, but at the same time, if the money keeps going up again, and uh, golf has shown incredible resilience, definitely on this side of the pond, uh, towards uh, the economic market, the European Tour, I think, maybe has shown that that's not a global trend. Um, I can see there being some disruption, but whether whether you can unpack all of that in 18 months and have this thing up and running, I'm very doubtful. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I ask a quick question sure. on that, uh, uh, Marth, Arthur? Are there, uh, uh, Chubby Chandler was on Lawrence Donegan's podcast, <clears throat> and Lawrence just asked him, what, 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 where's all this money? Why are all these people wanting to give these people? Aren't they playing for a good amount now? And Chubby's reply was, golf is undervalued. They're actually, compared to a sponsorship of Formula One and some other things, it's cheap. I think that was the actual phrase he uses. It's cheap compared yeah, to I other that. things. What, what do you, I what do you, that. I, that seems, it's expensive to do a golf tournament. That I seemed, that, that seemed, Jeff. what do yeah. you think? And I, th- I think what he was getting at, wasn't it? He was talking specifically about sponsors and they, he felt, that sponsors, whether it's an uh, Aon or Aegon or a Porsche or whoever it is, Chubby's view seemed to be that for that company to put on a golf tournament is much cheaper than, for example, getting a sponsor- sponsorship in the English Premier League mm. in terms of like television or broadcasting and stuff like that. So he viewed golf as cheap. And I guess... Uh, he knows a lot more about that than I do, but from where I, from what I can see, we've seen with the Rolex series, um, putting on such an event is not cheap. You no. do need to have a th- you do need to have a threshold, and it, it doesn't take much for those sponsors to start pulling out when the market starts looking a bit dodgy, because yeah. the Rolex tournaments went really well in the first season, and that was Keith Pelley's, you know, like golden moment. 
And obviously the pandemic has kind of, you know, but, you know, put, put spokes in the wheels. Um, and the Irish Open is probably the tournament that has probably suffered the worst because that tournament was basically relaunched under Rory. Mm. Um, it became the Rolex event. Um, and then it kind of like, you know, started going downhill when Rory started pulling out because he'd given it his four years. I don't, I don't really agree with what Chubby said. I mean, no doubt, maybe it's cheap compared to, you know, English. Maybe it's cheap compared yeah. to the NFL. The NFL, know, yeah. The yeah. NFL, yeah. But at the same time, you aren't, you ain't going to have the same audience for golf as you are for the NFL. Right. Chubby's a manager too. Keep that in mind, Shaq. He was asked the same question about a potential world golf tour some years ago. Well, he rightly yeah. understandably said, no, why would you want to do that? I've got players <laughs> playing in Europe and America this year and I'm getting yeah. the cut of all of it. That so. was when appearance fees were flowing. Yeah. I do think there's something to it. I, I, yeah. But, but at the same time, the WGCs are down to very few people who want to sponsor one because it's just too expensive to do between the purse and the way you have to build out those events. Is it the price that's the problem, or is it the return on investment? The return on investment in NFL is enormous. It takes over America for months on end. The Premier League it takes does. over yeah. the UK for months on end. The AFL here in Australia, Clates, takes over Victoria and most of the states in Australia for months and months. And months. Golf doesn't do that, never will. It's a series of individuals who can attract attention, but if they're not playing for some reason, this is the Tiger Woods dilemma, and he's now... Likelihood of coming back would seem slim, and even if he does, he won't be the Tiger Woods of old. And you've got a problem because Phil's great, but he's not Tiger. Rory's great, but he's not Tiger. We haven't seen the next Tiger yet. Clates, were you born too early? What would you be doing as a player in this era? Um, you know, you've moved in circles with all of these top players in the 80s and 90s. What was a very different place there? And they did okay. None of them are. Most of them have got at least two houses, so they're going okay. <laughs> but in this era, what, is, what does it do to change the game, do you think? Or does it change? The, the, you know, the, the irony is that the, comparing this era to my era and eras before, I mean, we thought we played for a lot of money because we did compare with the era before. But the irony of this generation is that never have golfers made so much money and yet never have they wanted to make more than they make. You know, their appearance of demands, are, the, the fee demands are ridiculous. You know, $10 million a week is not enough and they want to go and play for a guaranteed $150,000 a week guarantee. So never have we seen a richer generation of golfers, but perhaps never have we seen a more selfish one either. It's an extraordinary reflection on humans, isn't it, Arthur? Is there something in that? Is that a cycle where the more you get, the more entitled you feel? Well, I think uh, Mike, no doubt, uh, was on tour at the same time as as uh, Faldo was around, and Faldo is obviously on uh, broadcasts most weekends. And a couple of years ago, in his um, uh, Chronicles of a Champion Golfer interview, Faldo made the point, and he, I think he was absolutely right and very sincere in saying it. In his generation, to have the big houses and to have the nice cars and all the rest of it, you had to win. You know, and he was playing in the era, obviously, of the, the big four. And it's like Mike said at the start, you know, there's always been a big 10, you know. So you had the, you had the Europe coming back at that time. You had uh, Greg, obviously, in Australia. Um, and you had, obviously, your leading American players. But Faldo did say at that time, you had to win. And like Mike just said, you have guys now turning up. PGA Tour, I mean, the Corn Ferry Tour money is now reaching, they're talking about it, it's going to be one million per tournament. That's the Corn Ferry Tour. 
not the PGA Tour itself. So there are so many good, there are great golfers coming out of college. There are so many great golfers. There are so many tournaments. And yet, Mike, like Mike says, guys are entering the gate to the tournament and you just wonder if they are led by their managers or anything else where they're left thinking, I can still do better than this. And it strikes me as a very odd exchange. And I'm sure some players do think like that. Yeah. I'm sure other players literally just want to win. Uh, but I do think it's a different world. And no doubt the next generation of golfers will have it even better yeah. unless there's some radical change. There's never been so much money in mediocrity as there. <laughs> At that level, you can be a mediocre player on the PGA Tour, which makes you an extraordinarily good player, but a mediocre PGA Tour player does very, very nicely. Thank you very much. Let's try and tick off some other issues. Clayton, Naomi Osaka, you're good mates with Paul McNamee. What's this done to the tennis world? What are the possible implications for golf? Should players have to talk to the press? Is it part of the gig? Uh, no, I don't think... Well, I think the era of going out and watching golf or tennis and, and then going to the press tent and writing about it is kind of over. But I've seen, and you've seen them, journalists sit in the press tent at the Australian Open, never go out, cobble together a story made up of quotes and what they've watched on TV without observing any golf at all. So if she doesn't want to talk to the press, I... You know, I I get that if she's got issues with it. She's always seemed kind of, from that day where she got booed at the presentation for the US Open against Serena, she seemed to have gone into a shell. But why, can't, why, why must journalists have quotes from players? Why can't they just watch the tennis match and report on what they saw? And if she doesn't want to talk to them, okay, fine, don't talk. Because most of the players do want to talk. Because most of them go in there with their hat on with the tailor made <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, that's, that's why yeah. they do those that's talks. Exactly right. Get those that's, logos that's, on. That's, on. That's you know, a way to get or the logos. Supposed to. So ten, yeah, so tennis have this bizarre rule where you, you're not supposed to wear hats with logos on them, so, which seems to me a massive restraint of trade for yeah. tennis players. But, um, you know, I, you know, who knows what her mental state is? I don't know. But if she's really got issues with talking to the press and all she wants to do is go and play tennis and you guys can watch, come watch my match mm-hmm. and go right about what happened, then, I mean... How many interesting quotes do we get out of a press conference anyway? That's exactly I mean, hardly any. Hardly any. So surely if you're a journalist, you can watch a match and and report on it or or a golf tournament and go and report on what happened. I mean, Herbert Warren Wynn would write about golf without ever getting a quote from a player. Surely the last great quote we ever got in golf, Shaq, was from Ben Hogan when he told the gathered press, one day a deaf mute's going to win this thing because you guys will have nothing to write about. (laughs) He's right about that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was probably in one of those moods. Um, (laughs) He he may have shot one over that day. Isn't Clates right, though, Shaq? Do we really get anything out of press conferences? We've been to enough of them ourselves. And there are maybe a handful of players in golf I can think of, Adam Scott being one, Rory being one, Spieth being one, and all you've got to catch them in the right mood, obviously. It's not easy to get up and perform in front of the press every week. Um, Apart from them, when's the last interesting press conference? We get a lot out of press conferences when they're not on television. But now that they've become a TV show, the mm-hmm. difference when the camera's rolling and the lights are on in the quality of the answers you get versus just a, a normal sit-down, uh, yeah, maybe there's some lights on, but they know they're not on live TV. They know it's just a conversation. It's totally different. And so that's, you know, I don't know what attempts they made to discuss with her options for 
ways that were more low profile, more comfortable, but they've increasingly put these tables up higher, the press back more so that the cameras can, can get a better shot, more lights. I mean, at Augusta, they literally can't see you who's asking the question because the lights are hitting them. So broad, yeah. And, and it, so it just changes the, it goes, it's basically like being in an interrogation um, in there and they feel it's, it's a different show you're putting on. So I do think they have value and I think they can be great for the players, but when they're on TV, it just changes. It just makes the thing, as you say, pretty much useless. Um, and, uh, and you're right. Most of the players aren't, aren't as interesting as, as you'd hope, but, uh, there's still a few out there. Hmm. Yeah, indeed. Can you see a trend? Arthur, you've probably been to a million political press conferences. They're probably different to most sport press conferences. Uh, can you see a change in the future? Are we going to see your players in other sports just say, great, I don't want to... Tiger early in his career, had somebody else set the example, he would have been all over that notion. Well, if Naomi Osaka doesn't have to talk to the press in tennis, there's no reason why I have to talk to them in golf. He's been put through the ringer a bunch of times, unnecessarily just for being Tiger Woods. What's your take on the Naomi Osaka thing? I, I agree with uh, overall. I agree with uh, Michael and and Jeff because it's these show, press yeah. conferences, these sporting press conferences, really are a dime a dozen. You know, very little comes out of them. In terms of Naomi Osaka, she does seem to have a genuine health issue, mm. and I think it's entirely appropriate if she does not feel up to speaking to the press that she should be allowed to go on her way yeah. because, you know, that's just anyone who says, oh, it's in your contract. If you're not feeling good, I, I couldn't care less. You know, I'd be walking. You know, um, they at least tried to explain that, uh, why she wasn't going to take part. Um, I think you had another example, obviously, at the weekend with Lexi Thompson. She, I think she answered a couple of questions and then basically she was about to break down and her manager intervened and got her out of there. Similarly understandable. What are they going to expect? That she stays there in tears for the whole day? That might look, make great television. But to be honest, it would be a bit cruel. Um, in terms of like public figures, I mean, there has been a bit of a debate here about Joe Biden only giving one press conference before, um, sorry, so far in his presidency. But at the same time, he has a press secretary who speaks for his administration every day in Washington. There is usually enough stuff to, around for people to use, but generally, I, I agree. The press conference in sport, in particular, is is a fairly useless vehicle. Um, occasionally, you know, that's not going to be the case. You are going to get something good out of it. But it's like Mike says: if you know if you know golf, and you're genuinely interested in golf, and you're you are a professional writer about golf. You should be able to write about a golf tournament or a golfer without having to get a couple of quotes to pad out your story. You know, how's about thinking a bit harder and being a bit lazy? Because a lot of press conferences are very lazy events. I've had to go to them. I generally kind of hate them because I don't consider them journalism because I'm there to help someone else's need rather than actually most of these people don't want to help me when I'm doing a story. Um, so yeah, I, 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 ain't, I ain't got a lot of sympathy for the journalists who basically had a go at Naomi Osaka, but no sympathy for them, actually, because she does genuinely seem to have a, a health issue there. And what matters most is her mental health, not uh, whether someone gets a quote 
Yeah, it, it yeah it's interesting reasonable. though. They yeah, sorry. where have they been on Roger Federer? Yeah, uh, I, there's a great uh, yeah. rant I listened to the other day where the t uh, guy here in the United States, uh, Mad Dog Chris Russo, just went off on Federer, and he likes tennis, and he's kind of a comical character. But he went off on the tennis writers. Like, well, I, where are you? This is this is this is disgusting. What he did. Uh, middle-aged white so, blokes don't pick on other middle-aged white blokes, Jack. It's the code. It's the bro code. You, know, you don't. Do well, it. <laughs> Rogers, but it's also Roger. I mean, he's a legend. He's probably been great with him over the years, for the most part. So he's built up some. It it does seem uh, to me goodwill. Yeah. Uh, but boy, it does seem reasonable to me that if you win the tournament, there is some responsibility to then. Oh, well, like I, that's yeah. yeah. I mean, day to day, no problem. Don't you don't right like last year. At the PGA, Colin Morikawa, I was there, and, and I was the one who asked him, so take us through the 16th hole. Mm. What was your plan at the start of the week? I just threw that out. Well, he And then he comes out with, well, I actually, my plan at the start of the week was to never even think about driving the 16th green. I was like, whoa, this is great. And then, yeah, I mean, he went to Berkeley. He's a smart guy, um, so he has a lot to say. But we got a lot out of him talking us through that, which will go down as one of the really great shots of modern times. Yeah. Yeah. And if we didn't have him, we wouldn't have gotten a lot of the backstory. And then he, he ran into Colt Nost and Colt said this and, and it made him think, well, okay, maybe I'll be open to it. And so we need it. We need it at times too. Yeah. Uh, we just can't have him. You know, I, I couldn't have written as good of an article or, or as an insightful article to the reader without him telling us some of that backstory. Well, I've got you. That one worked. That one worked really well. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and again, all of us like thank you winner. for it. Yeah. The, the winner. Yes, yeah. the, winner. Like the winner. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Shaq, who's the first golfer who's going to pull a Naomi Osaka? Surely this one um, out there. About it. I think it's going to be Bryce. Yeah. Bryce. See, now Bryson's interesting. Loves the limelight. But I thought about him. Hmm. Yeah, I thought about him. No, I think it's more likely a Spieth or oh, really? uh, Justin. I think Justin Thomas would be, uh, yeah, be I put him high on the list there. Um, I just, I, yeah, I just, I think it's more likely an American if I had to guess, just because there's such a culture in golf right now that the media is a cause of all world evil. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. especially with the American golfers, yeah, in fairness, uh, we have done our irony, part, but we're not responsible for everything, fellas. Give us some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we've done our bit along the way. U.S. Open coming up. Uh, Shaq, you're right there in L.A. and uh, two U.S. Opens in L.A. in over a couple of weeks. The women's open now. Well, there. California. Okay, right, sorry, not L.A. Sorry, yes, California. <laughs> it's all the same thing. L.A. is uh, not for another couple of years. Um, uh, what's the vibe? Tory Pines, uh, architecturally, I think we all agree in some ways a bit of a wasted opportunity, but one of the most compelling U.S. Opens we've seen in recent times, the last yeah. one that was played there, 2008. What are your expectations coming up? What should we be looking forward to? Well, it's going to be another perfect weather week. Um, Phil is obviously a much more interesting person coming into this than than he would have been as, a, as an invitee. I, I, it's lined up for a lot of wonderful things. We're also severely overdue for a... A, a freak major winner. So I, I, you know, I've been saying that though now for a while. Um, One day you're sure uh, to be right, Jeff. Keep hammering that nail, mate. One uh, yeah, day well, I don't. It's <laughs> what it's just going to happen. It's inevitable. Although Royal St George's always can Tends produce some up. some beauties. Um, but I think it uh, it should be a good week. Uh, the golf course is not an issue in terms of conditioning like it was last time. I watched 2008 last night again. Um, they had that on Golf Channel, a, a chopped up version of it, and I just forgot what a I wrote about it in my newsletter today. What a magical 
tournament that was and in every way and the, the way they performed and the golf course is going to be in such better shape this time. I mean, when the greens, I forgot how, how bad they looked on, you can see the airification holes and, uh, but they got it together and, uh, it won't be the same without tiger there. That's a big missing element. He knocked back um, NBC, and then I also he? just didn't he, this, NBC offer him a commentary. They did. And they, uh, they gave him a chance. They asked if he would be interested in yeah. doing a voiceover. He declined. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's going to be a missing element. And then, I, again, just coming so close to the PGA, I don't know what that does for the energy of it. But uh, it'll look beautiful, and uh, it's in good shape, so the players should put on a good show. Yeah, good players do put on a show. Clates, does holding a tournament there every year on the PGA Tour do anything to the chances of those in the field at the U.S. Open or in some way, to, in a funny way, to dilute the tournament in some way in the eyes of the fans because we see the course every year as opposed to the Oakmonts and the Olympics and some of those courses that we never get to see except when the U.S. Open comes there. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a regular PGA Tour event with, a, with marginally higher rough, probably does. I mean, it's just Jeff wrote a great article in the McKellar Volume 5 magazine about how to make Torrey Pines a better golf course and... Clearly, it's a massive miss. And I think if it was a better golf course, it would be a much more exciting tournament, to, something to look forward to. And we always look forward to Pebble Beach and LA Country Club is going to be amazing. But this is just, well, we have to go to the West Coast and it's got nice weather and so we'll go there. So it's disappointing that it's the least good of all the US Open courses they go to by a long way. Leader in the clubhouse for blandest finishing hole? For a US Open? Well, weird things happen there. So that's, it's that's true. I it's know. not a good hole or it's not <laughs> great having that pond, but but things do happen there. So yeah, give it that. And what, uh, what about the chances of the players, Clates? The fact that the PGA tour goes there every year, is that does that change the way you think about who might be a chance to win? I know it'll be a very different proposition to what they play, time of year and the course setup, they'll all be very different, but it's a very familiar place, isn't it, for your you know, your stalwart PGA tour player? Make it have JB Holmes taking four minutes to decide to lay up at the seventy-second hole of the US Open this <laughs> and year, and then lay it up in the rough, <laughs> and then lay it up in the rough. That's <laughs> one of the all-time great moments, wasn't it? Uh, that was that. Yeah, indeed. Who's the favourite this week? Is there a favourite for the US Open? Bullpen I think it was Rom. I was going to say Will he make it? Sitting in a hotel room in Dublin, Ohio, uh, ordering room service three times a day. I don't know if that's going to be great preparation for the U.S. Open. Well, is he going to make it? There was some talk he might not even because the quarantine right. No, we don't know two yet. Before uh, start, he has so. to test negative uh, yeah. two days in a row, and uh, obviously, we don't know if he ended up getting some symptoms from it or not. Yeah. Yet. What are the ramifications of uh, all that, Arthur? I'll come back to the U.S. Open with you, but the John Rahm WD six strokes in front. One round to play. It was pretty contentious. And what does that say to the wider world in a world where golf has a bit of an image problem? Yeah, I think uh, I think um, the real story there hasn't come out yet because I found the most intriguing thing of the whole event was the fact that he, he, he hadn't been vaccinated when he turned up at the start of the week. Now, golf, I mean, don't get me wrong, um, Every, uh, vaccination has been and remains a very uh, divisive issue in the United States. Um, but most, I think it's now definitely on Sunday, the figures as of Sunday was more than half of the tour players had been vaccinated. But that's only more than half. That's actually less than the average percentage of Americans who have received at least one shot of a vaccine because that's now up in several states at least, in 11 states at least, that's now at 70% of the, 
which is the uh, administration's goal by uh, Independence Day. But John Rahm had obviously had had access to vaccination if he'd so desired it um, for some time, I imagine. He does live in Arizona. Uh, he went to Arizona State. He's a pleasant guy uh, from from the very limited press experiences that I've seen. Although he is he's he's a he's a young guy. He's twenty four. I don't know how well. Uh, he was kind of like um, coached or, you know, talked to about the health implications of COVID. But I mean, he's been on tour for a year with co- uh, with COVID being an issue. Um, I think he'll have been well he'll, well enough understood that the point of a vaccination isn't 100% protection. It's if you get sick, you probably won't end up in hospital and require a ventilator. You know, it's not immunity from infection. You can still get infected. But Rather than do that, one way or another, he came into close contact with someone and had to be tested. Um, so he knew at the start of the week, and he could have not bothered playing at the start of the week. He could have said, right, this is just too close to call. I'm going to give it a miss, make sure I'm in good shape for the US Open, you know, and all the rest of it. But he went into the tournament, and one cut a long story short, he uh, obviously tested positive uh, again, um, and um, that happened on Saturday night he was told coming off the course. So in terms of what it says about the tour and where we stand, I think um, what really perplexed me was people were suggesting that the reaction had been a bit harsh on him and that he could have played on his own on the Sunday. And that to me sums up the selfishness of professional golf that anyone wanted to put that view out there because the reality is he was infectious at that tournament. Mm. And that means he's carrying the virus. The thought that he could somehow go out and play 18 holes, you know, and just give him a pass, that just made me think golf sometimes doesn't understand uh, how the general public views these things because we've all had to live with a pandemic. Golf might have a bubble and the PGA Tour didn't have much of one. But I think the bubble definitely burst on Saturday night. And um, I think John Rahm, if he was asked again, would you have got vaccinated quicker? I would quite like to know what his answer would have been. Jeff, we'd always say we like to keep politics out of sport. It would be ideal. Is it possible, though? This obviously is a, there's a political element to this story, isn't there? And Arthur's outlined some of it there. Vaccination is a big political issue. It's not just in the US, by the way. <laughs> We've got our own fair share yeah. of anti-vaxxers in this part of the world as well. But regardless of which side of it you stand on, uh, golf gets dragged kicking and screaming into the political limelight in these circumstances, doesn't it? It does. And and most of the, the, the people around the tour are probably listening to a lot of sources that are um, probably on a, on a certain wavelength that doesn't believe in all this. And we... I mean, the one service that he did to get more people vaccinated is he he decided after the exposure on Tuesday to take up the free offer there at the Memorial Tournament. And he went out and what was he, 17 under for three rounds. So (laughs) I don't think anybody can say, well, getting that jab in the arm uh, really set you back as a golfer. He went out and was six clear and played beautifully. The other half is saying, well, clearly Um, the the virus isn't that bad because he shot 17 under with it. So it can't be that. Yes, correct, correct. Exactly. That's how it's a double sided coin, that one. Yeah, that's our problem. So um, it's, 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 um, it's just, it's, I feel like the tour. 
I actually felt bad for the, the, the tour when I listened to the, the vice president talking and uh, Annie Levinson. And uh, the only mistake they made was when they greeted him on 18. They should have had a mask to hand him a disposable. Um, I don't think they imagined he would react like he he did. He It was a fairly dramatic reaction. But it would have signaled to people uh, that that's what it, everybody would have known immediately what it was. And we get into then we get into oh it's his privacy it's like well it was going to get out <laughs> anyway so let's show that and I mean Jim Nance everybody was horrified it was like he had been told his his family had been killed so that was that wasn't great but I thought other than that the tour they couldn't bring him inside especially the way he reacted he would have been screaming in the air and that's what you don't want so it, it um it highlighted a lot of those issues and as arthur said yeah there was this, uh, an amazing amount of outpouring of sympathy when this was something one he lost two relatives in spain he says they died as a result of the pandemic not the virus um so there he's had his fa- they were older and probably lonely i i don't really know but I, it doesn't matter it obviously was something that affected him but you think between that Knowing what it did to Spain, uh, what um, he had with a new wife, uh, a child, it just was, he could have, he was eligible March 24th in Arizona. Um, it was just a terrible uh, decision on his part. But again, as Arthur said, you don't, you know, what these forces that are around them, what are they telling them? Where are they getting their information? It's, it's a problem because the tour has been trying to educate them and it's clear the players don't care. By the way, I don't know if you saw, I did a blog post. I, I reached out to the LPGA and nobody picked it up or noticed it. Um, I, th- I thought it was pretty impressive. They're, they're at 60% fully vaccinated wow. players, caddies, and staff. Wow. Okay. And now, like yeah, Arthur said, 70%, but, but 60% fully vaccinated and including caddies and staff and let's i'm sorry the caddies you think the players are a little bit on the fence (laughs) about this stuff (laughs) right clates the caddies are biggest conspiracy theorists of all right they've been watching too much rupert murdoch fox news for them haven't i don't understand where that comes from but send it into politics politics and sport clates was the what was the what was the thinking in the 80s and 90s when you played on the tour did you talk politics with the journos and these sorts of issues that go beyond just golf what's your what's your no we, we didn't really I mean, Gov. Well, you I mean, would pretty, because you were on the wrong side. <laughs> they're a pretty conservative bunch. I mean, yeah. yeah. But no, we didn't talk much politics. Yeah. What was your take on that? I think. What happened there? On Ram? Yeah. Well, why wasn't he vaccinated? I mean, he's got no excuse. It's ridiculous. And I don't know why he wasn't vaccinated, whether he's an anti vaxxer or whether he thought he would be immune or whether he just couldn't be bothered or. I mean, it's unimaginable that you wouldn't get vaccinated to me. There's some public health questions, aren't there, around an organised. Traveling tour like the PGA tour yeah. that might go beyond what your beliefs are about vaccine or otherwise. I yeah. mean, it was only in the seventies. I remember going to my dad was Italian. We went to Italy in the seventies, and we had to be vaccinated for smallpox. I had that scar on my arm forever. He had two hmm. huge scars on his arm his whole life. You weren't allowed into Australia without being vaccinated against this whole series of events. People, people these days seem to believe that that's some sort of infringement of, of civil rights that's never happened before. It's some sort of a backward step. So there's some interesting stuff going on, but it would, you would think there's some public health implications. How many how many staff and travel with the tour on a weekly basis? Field aside, Shaq, it'd be in the hundreds, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, a big, it's yeah. a big operation, and that's why they had their testing program yeah. uh, in place, because they're traveling the country and they felt a responsibility, and... Uh, they clearly, you know, have struggled though of late because uh, they're not quite getting some of the buy-in they hoped. Uh, 
Rod, I, I just have to, you asked Clates about uh, politics and conversations. Uh, I don't know if you're subscribers to my newsletter, but I don't know, you may not have gone deep into the, the, the rat hole I went on on a Friday night on Wilfred Reed when Mel Reed contended at Olympic Club because um, I opened up my Wilfred Reed file and I got all excited. Um, I forgot all this wonderful stuff his grandson had sent me. Anyway, long story short, my favorite thing in finding out more uh, or being reminded of things about Wilfred Reed, who I do believe is a hearing from his grandson, a distant relative of Mel Reed, who was uh, a leader there for a while. Uh, I just have to read this um, because this is you know, one of the most important tournaments in the history of golf. Wilfred was the 36-hole leader, tied for the 36-hole lead at the 1913 U.S. Open. Uh, and Robert Summers wrote this in his book, The U.S. Open. When an argument over the British system of taxation developed into an exchange of insults directed at each other's places of origin, Ted Ray reached across the dinner table and pummeled Wilfred Reed's nose with two powerful blows, driving him to the floor of the Copley Square's hotel's dining room. His nose bloodied, Reed leaped to his, leapt to his feet and went after Ray, but the head waiter sprang between the two men and the others in the party pulled them apart. Reed went on, of course, to post 85-86, while Ted Ray went to the playoff with Francis we met and Harry Varden, and um, the rest is history. So they did discuss politics back in the day. <laughs> and punched each other in the Clay's face. Day, which is, before Clay's And day. punched each other in the face, which is the far more exciting prospect of that as a notion, Jack. Imagine <laughs> fisticuffs erupting at a uh, at a PGA Tour dinner in this day and age. That would be oh, absolutely... It could happen. Yeah. Here's a, Doubtful, what, but... Wasn't... Um, wasn't McKenzie a, like a rabid right winger, Clates? Uh, he was, yeah. I've got his book right here. Do you want yeah, me to? Yeah, oh, oh, absolutely. Clates, do you oh, think he was yeah. a right winger or do you think it was Hunter was a socialist and McKenzie was more uh, a capitalist? No question he was well, a he capitalist. Was he was certainly an anti, he was certainly a very anti communist, wasn't he? Yes, and, and, he, and he took jabs at Robert Hunters, who was his design yeah. associate here at yeah. um, Cypress Point Valley Club, at his socialism. Talking to the microphone, uh, so we view. can hear you, Clates, because there's some gold in this. I can recall reading this in his book and being quite, quite taken aback, Mackenzie. Here's Mackenzie. I, like, I was likening the element of luck in golf to luck in everyday life. Socialists who have already created destitution and, mi- and misery for millions in Europe have a similar mentality to the anarchists of golf. <laughs> They believe that success in life is due to luck and not skill. It would be well if the world would give consideration to the words of Abraham Lincoln delivered in the Workers' Association in 1864. Prosperity is a fruit of labour. Prosperity is desirable. It's all a positive good to the world. And he goes on. But, yeah, he was a... Very much an anti-socialist. It's a shame you couldn't have done that in the voice of John Parry Evans, because that would have just sounded yeah. absolutely perfect <laughs> to my ear, Clayton. <laughs> where, where, where capitalism is strongest, the workers are richest, and where socialist is rampant, the workers are destitute. How many golf courses are there in Russia? Under the capitalist mm. system, the luxuries of the rich, as in the case of motor cars in America, inevitably become the necessities of the poor. So Mackenzie went into politics at, at the end of the Spirit of St Andrews in some some detail, not some depth, depth, depth but, he was, but he certainly commented on it. Yeah, yeah, made his uh, made his feelings known. Well, there you go. Uh, that's probably not a bad note to end. Well, on that note, yeah. Well, what, uh, <laughs> what a discussion it's been, Arthur McMillan. We must say thank you to you. It's been fabulous to have uh, you on board. It's always good to hear your thoughts, mate. You're a thinker, and we like that on the show because none of us are capable of thinking. So we need to get someone to come along and do it for us. But appreciate you taking the time, mate. It's been fabulous. You're welcome.
Clates, always good to hear from you. We never hear enough from you, but uh, always good to hear. If you, uh, you haven't heard enough right. of Clates, go to any other golf podcast on the planet and listen to it from the last two weeks. He'll have been a guest at some. What have you done this week? You did Donegan with McKellar, as have you, Shaq. Arthur, you and I haven't been on Donegan's podcast yet. But. I did Donegan with McKellar, and I did um, Fried Egg with Andy, Andy Johnson. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Andy Johnson. All right, and that's it so far. That's it. And the state yeah, of the game, it. so that's okay. Shaq, always great to have you aboard, mate. And I know you did Donegan's podcast. Where else can we find you? Uh, well, jeffshackleford.com and the quadrilateral, and um, and uh, I, I look forward to uh, 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 an interesting week coming up yeah. in, in San Diego. Sign up for the quadrilateral, by the way, people, if you haven't. How's it yeah, going, well, Shaq? It's an it, interesting the, media enterprise idea, yeah. isn't it? Is it the way of the future, do you think? The host uh, screwed up. The, his weekly free one was supposed to go to everybody yesterday, and he forgot to check the right box. So uh, there will be a makeup newsletter either today or tomorrow. Um, uh, to make sure that I do my once a week free one. So feedback, uh, but I'm enjoying it. I'm yeah. really enjoying it. And, and the numbers are just kind of quietly growing like I'd hoped. Uh, the, I'm getting into the habit of reading more newsletters. I don't know what Arthur thinks, but I, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm relying on them more and more. And I was really not a fan of them. Um, so I'm, I'm pleased that the the for, the medium is uh, I think it's going to stay around a while. Isn't it the point of the internet, Arthur? It's changed everything about the media, including I think we'll end up with a media that looks like I like this, 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 and this, and I'll pay for those, and those people will be little operators, shack individually, or a little group of journo's who've got something going, and they found their corner of the internet. And there's enough money for them to send their kids to school, have a holiday once a year, have the odd coffee, go out to dinner, have a semi, you know, not get. Not get Rupert Murdoch rich, but have, have a half-decent life by providing people the information they're looking for. What do you reckon about that? I, cu- I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's going to take some time to get there. Yeah, I agree. I was just going to say quickly, um, we, we hadn't even touched on Brooks Bryson because that was an internet moment, which I think uh, showed that the internet still does have um, the ability to shock, even in golf. You wouldn't You wouldn't hear him saying that in a press conference, would you? No, that's true. Was I know. Is it serious, Shaq, or are they just pretending for the – not the social media point. I don't think anybody thinks they're actually after the player impact program points, but are they hamming it up there a bit, Brooks and Bryson? They might be now, but no, I don't think they like the origin- each other. The, oh, there's no <laughs> – Brooks doesn't like anybody, let's be completely honest. That's, that's uh, fairly yeah, obvious. Yeah, I guess – I don't know if that's – yeah, I don't know if that's totally accurate, but he, 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 he has a little edge to him. But yeah, no, he really doesn't like Bryson. Oh, no. It's okay. – it's, it's, uh, it's clear. So the original I think video, it's entertaining. The original video was gold. Some of the stuff since has been a bit... Uh-uh. Um. Right, but it, I guess the issue to me, and I know you're trying to wrap this up, but 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 what I think is ironic about the whole thing is that the, the, the tour has wanted to get away from golf being uptight and gentlemen taking off their hats and shaking hands to live <laughs> under par, whoop it up, yeah. wave your phone, shoot some video, get drunk... Yeah. Uh, and so here we are. Bryson goes out there, and some live under par young people. The crowd's getting young and giving, ca- throwing out horrible things like Brooksy and getting ejected. Uh, so they're getting what they wanted, and they don't really like what they're seeing. And I find that just um, kind of uh, incredible that they didn't foresee that that golf is a sport where you can't over encourage the crowd because you just can't have a competition. At a certain point, if people are feeling uh, free to harass players or heckle them, yeah, indeed. Clay, what were the what did, did you, behind the scenes as a player on the tour? Does much of this go on that we don't see? This Brooks Bryson sort of thing. 
Well, I know. I think there was I mean, Nicholas and Palmer famously and Langer and Seve and Faldo and Lyle and Greg Norman and, well, Graham Marsh and David Graham and pretty much most of the Australian players with Greg a little bit. But, um, there's, yeah, there's always been... I mean, Lendl and McEnroe was the greatest one. The, you know, the problem with Brooks and Bryson is they need to take it to the golf course. Yes, they need to be in the they, they need to be in the playoff for the US Open or do yeah. a Watson and Nicholas at Turnbury. But have they ever actually played against each other in a tournament no. that's been memorable? I mean, do something on the golf course. Yeah. Well, we should know in a day or two if the USGA will pair them. I'm sure they won't. Can they with the? Because you got the amateur. Well, Open and US Open tradition. Yeah, thing that's what the, they'll they'll rely on. Yeah. But but. Um, They've got to get out um, if they want it, haven't they? With the, pro- the, the loophole is that they already did Shane Lowry as the defending Open champion yeah. last fall. Yeah. So will they do that again? They probably will. Yeah. But they could e- easily slip in a former champion there. Um, no, nah, it won't happen. Nobody there. at the USGA has those kahootas, Jeff, and you and I both know. Well, they used to do <laughs> they, some yeah, really wild pairings, yeah. it turned out, and then that got kind of exposed, <clears throat> and they've they've stopped. But yeah, it was I the I, I, you know, and maybe it's, the US Open's maybe not the place. It's it's something that should happen at a tour event. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I need to play on Sunday at the US Open. Well, yeah. yeah, and if that, I mean, obviously, if it accidentally happens, it happens. Yeah, ultimately, it should be eventually about the golf. You're absolutely right, Clayton. It'd do us well to remember that and listen more to you. Right, let's call that a day. I'm not saying goodbye to you all again. I'm just going to wrap it up here. That's episode 112 of State of the Game. Hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed talking. We'll be back to do it again. Not sure when, and I'm not making any promises, but at some point, and we look forward to your company then, here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.